0: Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. Joining me, as always, my wife with the mostest. Her name is? (laughs) Just Jen. Just Jen. And so you're along with us as we share stories of hope, interview people, and um, hopefully foster hope waves throughout waves of hope the country i like
1: that hope waves we could surf the waves of hope
0: well i call it sometimes a hope train choo-choo and that's always what you do the <laughs> hope trains a moving so how are you feeling today
1: i'm feeling good it oh is a- i feel so good
0: how's I that go
1: through a little cheer in there yeah
0: do it again do the real one no no <laughs> Come oh on.
1: How are you feeling?
0: How am I feeling? Yeah. Uh I'm on day two of getting in my three miles a day and doing my yoga in the morning.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: living the dream.
1: Living the dream. I'm living the
0: pandemic dream.
1: <laughs> Is there such a thing?
0: That's a nightmare, isn't it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a big huge nightmare and somebody's gonna wake us up soon and say we've been punked.
0: Yeah. Ashton Kutcher. You know, it it feels weird. Yeah. I was watching a really, really funny video on uh, YouTube and I don't know what this woman's name is, but she created a bit of a, of a parody and she, the video is actually her talking to herself <laughs> yeah. four months ago <laughs> and just kind of not really sharing all that's going to happen, but alluding right. to things that's going to happen. It, I mean, it had me rolling. Like for example, you know, one of the first things she said, her former four-month-old self Mm -hmm. thought that the defining thing of 2020 was going to be the Australian wildfires, you know, the bushfires that killed so many animals and stuff. It
1: still is a big deal.
0: It is. It's huge. But I feel like that was five years ago.
1: Yeah, it's so crazy how quickly you... start to forget like things that have just happened. Yeah.
0: In terms of focus or whatever, it just feels like an eternity ago. Right. I wonder why that is because time wise it wasn't, but is it because of your mental energy being fixated on this whole thing that makes it feel like that was so far?
1: Yeah. I think, I think most people live in the now and it's current and it's fight or flight. And we're just like trying to freaking figure this out.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree.
1: Like we're here.
0: I think for me though, I, I turned a bit of a corner. I think waking up at a specific scheduled time, getting in my physical exertion mm-hmm. running in the morning. I think that I think that's good. I think it, it gave me more energy. And it uh, because we've been inconsistent right. about when we're doing our mile. For those of you that don't know this, Jen and I have been on a Almost four year?
1: Yeah. Is run it almost streak. four years?
0: Yeah, run streak. So run, walk, jog, at least one a mile. mile a day, every day for consistently now, almost four years. It started in uh, June 1st of 2016. Yeah. So we try to get in our mile every day, but we've been inconsistent about when that timing is because Jen wakes up at zero dark 30 in the morning <laughs> to go do... 55 workouts and so I don't <laughs> see her until like eight something like that and then she still hasn't even done her mile yet so
1: yeah it gets done though kudos to you yeah it gets done I prefer being outside on the trail so I wait and
0: well speaking of which I found something that was encouraging I thought this was this was awesome have you heard of this app that's called charge running no you haven't so it's an app that when you download it and you log on to it it actually has virtual real time you with 20 30 40 other people out there in the world right now whoever's running whoever has that app and it's almost like orange theory like it's competition shows who's running pace all oh, that cool. kind of stuff so it's almost like it's almost like running in a group
1: there's like a leaderboard yeah wow. without
0: having a group
1: that's kind of cool i thought that was cool yeah. called
0: charge running so for you know, people that listen that like to get out on the trails yeah. or run or whatever. I think at this time, it's like the only way to keep your sanity is to get out there and and hmm. breathe fresh air and run. And
1: we'll have to download it and hit a trail and see like what's happening on this. Yeah,
0: app. charge, charge running, but uh, check it out if you uh, get a chance. I thought yeah. that was kind of an encouraging thing to kind of bring people together mm-hmm. virtually in the running world, but out right. not like Peloton, not right. like on a right.
1: Treadmill. I I honestly prefer to run alone with you. Yes, we know, but. I don't want people around. I just want to work out. And I'm like that though. That's why I don't go to a gym. Like yeah. I like to just have my stuff. I don't want anyone touching my stuff. And I just want to work out, get in and get out.
0: Yeah, so. I, I agree. Uh, for those of you that are listening, you can find us. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Instagram
1: At Hope Radio Podcast and on Facebook at Hope, the Hope Radio Podcast.
0: Where are we if they want to download us on the go?
1: On the go. We are on iTunes. Yes. Spotify. Yes. Keep going. (laughs) Google Play. Yes. Um, Stitcher. Yes. SoundCloud. Yes. Did I get them all? No. There's one more? Yeah. What? iHeartRadio. Oh, yeah. I heart radio.
0: (laughs) All you got to do is listen or uh, search for Hope Radio Podcast. You'll see our shining, smiling, effervescent faces greeting you when you do. And we've got now almost 20 episodes.
1: I know. So crazy.
0: We should have a celebration at 20. I don't. I think we're at like 18, 19, somewhere in that range.
1: Let's do like one month celebration. One month. Yes.
0: Well, we talked about doing fun Fridays or Friday fun days.
1: Friday fun days.
0: Just you and me back and forth.
1: Because that is fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At least we think so. All right. You ready for joke time?
1: I am always ready for joke time.
0: Okay. So you, young lady, you get to go first.
1: Okay. So the winner always goes first. What? That's just how it is. What?
0: All right. Whatever.
1: (laughs) Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes. It's going to be a blonde joke.
0: Okay. Really? No food? With food. <laughs> oh, lordy. One, <laughs> like two my, combination. This is
1: like my dream joke, right?
0: I'm, I'm already laughing. Okay. Ready? Yes.
1: How do you get a blonde on the roof? Thrower? <laughs> you tell her the food is on the house. <laughs> That's freaking funny. Because you know, if somebody told me that, I'd be up on that roof.
0: Yeah, you and food. I You're would a find one, the food. two. Yeah, <laughs> y- your best friend is food. Yes. I think you'd love food more than almost anything else in your life.
1: I do. It's my number one priority.
0: Well, I thought that was cute. So, you ready for my joke? <laughs> yeah. So, mine's, mine's slightly longer, but still funny. Oh all right. My gosh, a guy stuff. spots a sign outside a house that reads, Talking Dog for Sale. Intrigued, he walks in. So, what have you done with your life? He asks the dog. He said, I've led a very full life, says the dog. I've lived in the Alps rescuing avalanche victims. Then I served my country in Iraq. And now I spend my days reading to residents of a retirement home. The guy is flabbergasted. He asks the dog's owner, why on earth would you want to get rid of an incredible dog like that? The owner says, because he's a liar. He never did any of that. <laughs>
1: Did I do good? I fell asleep. What? <laughs> it's too long, Jennifer. That was a long joke. I you. That, you are biased against okay. my jokes. No. Okay. So here's the thing. A joke is supposed to be funny, and it's supposed to be like to the point. To like, there should be like a punch. You read a book, and I, I'm I. I have ADHD. This is hard for me.
0: <laughs> I am just mouth agape, just looking at her.
1: I don't even know what you said again. What? You, they need to be a little bit shorter. Just a little bit shorter, like like a one line, two line.
0: Okay. The end. So again, I lost.
1: Yes, you're you declaring lost. I lost. Yeah, mine was way funny. I think
0: this game is rigged.
1: It I might really, be, I, but
0: I think this game is rigged. I just honestly
1: think I'm just more of a funny person.
0: Of course you think you're more of a funny person. I'll let you win for right now because we we have to move on. We've got an interview to do. Are you ready? I'm so ready. We are going to have Dodd Codwell come on to our show. He's the volunteer president of ricebowls.org, a company that's been around Mm -hmm. since 1980, helping to feed and care for children in care homes, orphanages throughout the country. And they, they are doing some amazing things. And I want you to hear directly from them. So how about we get Dodd Codwell on the phone? What do you think?
1: I think we should do it. All right, here we go.
0: All right, so joining us today, I've got Dodd Caldwell. He's the volunteer president of ricebowls.org. Happy to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, Dodd.
3: Thank you so much, Sean and Jen. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, you're welcome. Uh, we, I mean, we just applaud what you were doing. I came to know about your mission with RiceBowls.org through our good friends, Troy and Dave, the guys that founded ULA, and you guys struck up quite a partnership, I think, with them through ULA. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what RiceBowls.org does, and um, we're, we're super curious. Feeding children, that's what I know.
3: Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we are an orphan care focused nonprofit. We uh, really do a lot of fundraising efforts here in the U.S. And what we uh, try to do is partner with grassroots. Uh, really well-run children's homes, and we fund their food budgets, uh, which for a lot of these homes is the majority of their operating expenses is actually feeding uh, the food. So what we try to do is partner with uh, organizations that may not have as much access to international capital as a large international nonprofit. And they may be locally run and uh maybe a small home, be a little bit of a larger home. We don't go too large, but basically, we just want to take the burden off of the directors of those homes that that financial burden and allow them to uh, focus on taking care of the kids that they've been entrusted with. Now, we have some homes that are a little bit larger, but for the most part, they're small, relatively small group homes that are run by uh, by locals
0: so you guys partner with smaller group homes to effectively feed children you're talking about group homes orphan kids so kids you you know you might have a facility that has 30 50 100 kids or whatever you guys bring in the rice bowls the food to take care of the children and let them work on the other aspects of growing and learning these kids up
3: Um, we don't send food to them, we do fundraising here, and then we fund their budgets, and we kind of have minimum, uh, not minimum, I would say, like, recommended dietary uh, guidelines full, based on, you know, their culture, and we don't, like, dictate that, we work with them on that, you know, how much protein, and we actually really encourage them to buy locally, so they're supporting not only feeding these kids, but they're we're helping support uh, their local economies, their local farmers, their their local markets, and they're getting, you know, rather than sending maybe food that we're used to and, you know, having that shipping cost and everything. It's really providing culturally appropriate and uh, delicious, uh, healthy meals.
0: That's, a, that's awesome. So I'm, I'm just curious, ricebowls.org, how did it get started, and how did you ultimately get involved in
3: it? We've been around since 1980, so kind of uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in there. But uh, it was actually originally started out of a church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And it just happened to be the uh, church that I grew up in. And the pastor there, had uh, at the time, there was sort of like a famine in Calcutta, in India, and happened to be traveling through there and saw it and... Came back and was like, hey, we need to figure out something to do. So he actually created this uh, plastic piggy bank in the shape of a bowl of rice. And kind of the heyday for that bowl in particular was uh, the 1980s. And basically, the organization uh, sold the bowls at cost. And, you know, churches and organizations would order the bowl and then they would actually send it to, you know, what their kind of food programs? Maybe the church those churches or organizations supported. So, hey, if it was like a local food bank or if it was, you know, some sort of international program that, that they supported, whoever was ordering the bowls had the opportunity to send those funds where they needed to go. Over the years, uh, that was, you know, 1980, Board was getting a little bit older in their 80s. And, you know, I had kind of been around it as a kid. And actually, my father had been grew up in the church. My father had kind of been involved with the organization some and the founder, he uh, came to me and I think it was I don't like to say that he gave me the keys. It was more he was looking for somebody to take the keys and I just kinda <laughs> kinda happened to be there. I was in my in my twenties and I loved business. I had kinda of studied in college, uh, international business in particular and traveled a bit for work. Uh, internationally, and was really looking for a way, uh, had been praying a lot for a way to combine my, my kind of love for the business world with, uh, service. He kind of came along and was, Hey, we're looking for somebody. We're going to shut this thing down. Because I think at the time he had approached me, it was probably doing right around like $25,000 a year, uh, as an organization. And he said, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to either shut this thing down or, we had somebody young uh, come in and uh, breathe some life into it. And I think I was I was one of the, the, the only ones who maybe wanted that uh, opportunity at the time that he talked to. So I ended up taking it over and have always been, you mentioned, volunteer president. I now have, have my own business. And we, we didn't have staff for a long time. And uh, we eventually changed our business model. That was in 2007, I believe. We, we first changed our business model.
0: Dodd, ha- changed it how?
3: So we had found some children's homes that basically had connections with uh, board members or uh, people we, we knew and trusted. And we said, okay, well, rather than selling these bowls at cost and, you know, nothing was, we hadn't really found a, a great way to increase funding for world hunger. We really decided to focus the organization specifically on funding well-run children's homes, specifically their food budgets. And so what we did is we started giving the bowls away for free and we started going to conferences and, you know, it could be everybody from a boy scout group to a school teacher uh, to an entire school, to a church. And they said, hey, we're going to ship these bowls out to you for free, and you can run this little campaign. And we kind of provided resources, and still do, um, to run a rice bowl campaign. And it really focused more on kids. It really became a kids-helping-kids type of campaign. And so we would ship these bowls out, and generally over about six to eight weeks, kids would fill them up. And then they would actually, rather than sending the money to kind of wherever, we said, Hey, send the funds back to us and we're going to partner directly with these grassroots children's homes. And, you know, today that was, uh, that was a while back. People use coins and dollar bills a lot less and time the bowl was a hundred percent of our revenue. Now it's more of about a, a third of our revenue, but it's actually stayed fairly steady as just the other parts of the organization have grown, but we really focused it and we have very specific reasons for doing that. For focusing on well run children's homes and supporting orphan children.
0: Yeah. So, t- why don't you just for a second, just so everybody can understand, why don't we talk about the need? You know, I'm sure you sure. understand some statistics about, you know, orphan kids and food. And, you know, so why don't you just share a, a little bit about the need that you guys are addressing?
3: And part of explaining that is in a lot of countries that are on the road to becoming developed, more developed countries, but aren't there yet, social safety nets are not as prevalent as they are here in the United States. And there's absolutely need across the board in the United States in a lot of different areas. But in a lot of other countries, they're just not the social safety nets there. And that is why, you know, when you about hunger and uh, orphan crisis. And, you know, I would say a lot of different countries have different ways that they have come to that. It could have been, you know, kind of particularly in the 90s or the 2000s, more of an HIV-related crisis that led to the orphan children. Let's say look at Rwanda. Some of that could have been from genocide back in the 90s. So every country, some of it is literally just poverty and higher mortality rate for parents. And Even in specific communities, it can be different. We have specific communities in specific inner city areas of, for instance, Bangalore, that may be deeply affected by the other communicable diseases like tuberculosis. So it really varies. But when it comes down to it, poverty is one of those factors across the board and lack of social safety net that helps perpetuate this crisis. I am so thankful there are tons of organizations that are doing great work in a lot of these countries to help in that cycle of poverty. And, uh, but it's going to take a while. And in the meantime, that means there is very acute needs of kids who, hey, can't wait for these poverty cycles to be alleviated. So they need to be taken care of, uh, now. And, uh, you know, kids are designed to be dependent. Not independent. So you know, it's our job to take care of these kids, you know, as youngsters, and we're called to do that. And so that's kind of what we focus on. Rather than systemic efforts of alleviating poverty, it's more of taking care of these kids on a day-to-day basis, and hopefully, they become a part of the solution, and they become a part of breaking those generational cycles of poverty.
0: Let me ask you about that. So do you have anything sure. to share in terms of this? I mean, because it started in the 80s. Do you have any full circle stories to share about somebody that had benefited from these orphanage help, the Rice Bowls, the the, the campaign, et cetera, sure. then to come back in and help you expand it further?
3: So actually, we're actually just starting to see that because we switched in around 2007 of 2007. So, you know, we've now got about, 12 years. So you're starting to see kids maybe coming out of college and coming out of high school that maybe were younger when we started and now are doing that for that. When we kind of sold the bowls at cost, people were sending the money to, and it raised tens of millions of dollars in the 80s. But we that was one of the things. We didn't exactly have control in a, I don't mean that in a bad way, but we really wanted to be able to say, hey, here's where the money's going and here's uh, how it's being used. So we have just started getting some of those stories and seeing some of those success stories. For instance, Arthur Jackson, who's who uh, is now an adult, young adult, but he uh, was at one of our homes in, in Haiti. And uh, now he's actually working with another children's home. And he actually introduced us to them. And we're now starting to support that home. And, uh, you know, he's continuing his education now as he's even doing that job with this other uh, children's home, so he actually connected us with another children's home partner. That's and awesome. Really, I... I, I think a lot of a lot of people, like you know, you hear these stories of like you know, we're going to raise the next president and the next physician who's going to wipe out diseases and all this. And what we like to say is like, man, that's awesome if those things happen. But what happens if one of these kids grows up and becomes a welder? And is an awesome father, an awesome mother, and, uh, you know, an awesome husband or wife, and contributes to their community. That is a success story right there. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. We are starting to see those results uh, coming in. Now, you know, when you're looking at 10 years, we've kind of got 10 years into this new model. And we're just starting to see some of these kids graduating from college and high school and um, really starting to contribute.
0: So, do you have any statistics as to how many approximate children you've fed since the charity began?
3: Right now, we're on an ongoing basis. We like to make long-term commitments uh, to children's homes and say, hey, we're, we're kind of in this in a long haul for you, so we don't add super fast. But we are currently supporting on a long-term basis 1,800 um, children. You know, that's on a daily basis. We're providing all of their meals. I mean, that has grown over the years. When we first started off, it was, you know, 100 or so children in 2007. Again, before that, I don't have back in the 80s, that was before I was involved. There was tens of millions of dollars be, that was going out to affect world hunger. But it's one of those things you just kind of have to trust and believe that that made a difference back in the 80s. And I'm not able to track that. I'm not able to directly see the fruit of that. And just kind of have to be okay with that yeah. and say, hey, now we're able to do so with these relationships, these deep relationships moving forward. We're going to know and see exactly who we're helping and and how we're helping.
0: How did you get connected with Troy and Dave, the founders of ULA? Because I know some of their proceeds go toward ricebowls.org. So how did you get connected with them?
3: I'm trying to remember Johnny, who is our uh, director. He actually originally had that connection, and it was through, we have we have some corporate sponsors, and most of those are kind of brands, if you will, like Uva is a brand. I believe they knew, I can't remember if it was a company called Ugmonk or Fatebox, one of those two, there was somebody another supporter of ours that was a brand, and I either the guys at ULA knew them or had seen us through them and then uh, got connected that way.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I think that's uh, two awesome uh, companies coming together, one for a charitable cause, another for, you know, an obvious expansion of their brand, but you made the two together and now you're mm-hmm. you're feeding children, you know, and so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Is this, is this where ULA's tea, like every bag of tea you buy, Provides. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Yes. Every bag of yes. tea that they yeah. provide, proceeds go toward ricebowls.org to help feed children well, throughout the world. I'm
1: gonna say I have probably bought a hundred bags of tea, <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm doing my I'm That's doing awesome. my part. This is great. That's awesome. <laughs> my wife loves uh,
3: tea and uh, tea, and I'm I'm like more of a coffee drinker, so we do through uh, where uh, she, she, she takes up the majority of the, the tea drinking in our house. So I'm, I'm glad to hear there's another uh, tea drinker. Not everybody's uh, on the coffee uh, bandwagon.
1: Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> their tea is amazing. So if you oh, yeah. if anyone hasn't had their tea, Ula, Ula Life Tea is Pretty darn good. It's all organic and
0: yeah. Yeah, OOLA, ulalife.com.
1: But yeah, so that's good to know because I've always wondered where, you know, because they they advertise that every bag of tea you buy helps, you know, feed a, a child. So now it's all just connecting and making sense. This is actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, let me ask you a question relative to kind of the current landscape that we're dealing with today with COVID 19. You know, I often wonder about how. Charities are affected when situations like this arise. And so have your fundraising efforts been at all negatively affected by COVID? Is it too early to tell? You know, just give us a little update on on that.
3: Yeah, some of it was just because we already had some stuff coming in. We ended up okay last month. We're, you know, we would expect that the next few months, at least, are going to be pretty rough. You know, one of the things that we do is we go to conferences where organizations are. So, you know, that could be a children's ministry conference for churches or teacher homeschooling conferences and those conferences. And at those conferences, people would order the plastic piggy banks. Mm. And, you know, those are shipped out. We also work with kids sports leagues and stuff like that, where they'll... Do a fundraising project for rights goals, things like that. They're just not happening. Those conferences are canceled and then obviously churches and schools and sports leagues and stuff are, are not meeting. We do expect there to be a, a pretty serious decline and we'll see how the month ends up. Part of us making a long-term commitment to our children's homes, it's over the years, we try to have money in reserve so that we can, if there is a downturn, uh, we're still committed to supporting those homes and not falling back. Now, those reserves will be eaten into, Mm -hmm. um, and they're not indefinite uh, reserves, obviously. With being a smallish nonprofit, but they're you know fairly significant to be able to you know to get us through hard times. That's why we uh, we've had that in savings basically, and we've added homes slower. We had good months or whatever. We would probably be in, uh, hurting a lot more than we are right now. One of the worries for um, individuals, businesses, nonprofits right now with COVID nineteen is how long is this downturn going to last? And that's kind of one of our questions because we don't have indefinite funding. I think everybody's yeah. in
0: a situation where they're wondering how long this is going to last, and and how long will it go on? And I, you know, I just imagine it makes it very, very difficult for charities because I think people, you know, in times of of uh, plenty, in times of abundance, in times of growth and prosperity, you know, I think uh, charities are benefited. But I think that one of the first things that tends to go in times of you know challenges like recessions, etc., mm-hmm. is charitable contributions, and the reality of it is, mm-hmm. is that kids kids need to eat every single yeah, day. The, that that need doesn't mm-hmm. go away.
1: They're depending on this. You yeah, know? It's they're depending. Yeah, like they can live without it. So. Yeah,
0: and I think I think yeah. we we lament our problems of, well, I yeah. haven't had this or I haven't gone that. I can't go outside. Maybe I my hours mm-hmm. got slashed. Maybe I lost my job. But literally, there are kids. Mm-hmm out there right now right. who need to eat and will not eat without the support of charitable causes like yours. And so I just, um, you know, I, I applaud what you're doing and I hope that we're over this COVID thing pretty quickly so that we can get back to normal and you guys can continue to uh, hopefully attend these conferences and other events that helps you drum up, you know, contributions towards your cause feeding kids.
3: I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a, uh... I think, uh, you know, kind of to back on what you're saying, particularly looking at some of these other countries, some of the stories we're hearing, of, for instance, India, mm-hmm. where it, the, there's a lockdown, a billion plus people in India, and how that is affecting our homes. Mm-hmm. And again, talking about this, this social safety net, there may not be as strong regulations in other countries on price gouging. Or food supply chains may be more affected. And then I mean, we're hearing that in a lot of cases in our homes in India, the food costs have gone up by 75%. And, you know, in other cases, we're hearing, hey, where there may be the government has said, hey, in some group homes, perhaps even when there is not a safe place for the child to go, they're saying, hey, kids can't stay together in a group home. In the same way you would say that about a school that you can't meet. But this is where these kids have grown up in. And they're saying, hey, you need to go back to your uncle who lives in the inner city. That may be a very bad situation right. for them to do that.
0: So maybe abuse, are, maybe, maybe, you know, life-threatening situation absolutely. or whatever. I mean, they,
3: No food. Uh, yeah. No food, abused, around, um, a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these kids are being affected too. Because some of our homes, hey, it's 100%. There is no family and all the kids are staying there we have other homes where a fairly significant portion of the kids are kind of sent away government mandate to potentially or likely unsafe situations, which is pretty sad because generally there's a reason, or not generally, there is a reason why those kids end up in a, in a group home. All kinds of things happening, not just you know here in the U.S., but economies and uh, food supply chains and things like that being affected in, in other countries as well.
0: So as you reflect on what's going on now with COVID, I mean just on a personal level. I mean it sounds like you have another business, a software company outside of this and mm-hmm. you know like you're you're a normal person just like we are. You just happen to be a volunteer president for ricebulls.org as well. So when you when you think about how COVID's affected you personally and then you you contrast that with the need that you see through RiceBowls.org. Does it help you to not fixate on you know kind of your own problems as much because you know that there's other kids elsewhere in the world that are in very unsafe, unhealthy, no food kind of situations? It, I I would imagine it helps you to deal with some of the lamenting and struggles that you might have on a personal level.
3: I mean, to be completely uh, honest software and at least my industry, uh, my kind of day job has not been greatly affected. So I'm so privileged in that way and fortunate. And I think, gosh, uh, you know, but but at the same time in running a business, you realize kind of the stress of that and burden for employees. And uh, you, you think about restaurants, restaurant owners and servers and situation they're in. And there's they're dire situations here in the U.S., but also with these kids overseas. And I think having kids of my own, keep them from feeling the pain, helping them be cognizant of that. But you want to, I mean, kids are so awesome. I actually don't think I don't necessarily agree. My wife and I have talked about this, the idea that kids are resilient in a certain way. Yes. But there's a reason why child abuse is so bad Mm -hmm. because it has such long lasting effects. It really is with, with rice bowls and saying, Hey, if we can take care of these kids long-term that are, that are in the care of these homes and the orphanage directors aren't having to stress out right now about providing for them, they can just focus in a crisis, in a quarantine, they can focus on what we want to focus on. Our, my, what my wife and I want to focus on our own kids, is just nurturing them right now. If we can afford that opportunity to the directors of these homes and the caretakers, they're not having to stress out about money. At all, then that's an awesome thing because we don't want to put the stress on the kids,
2: yeah, um, no. as much
3: as possible. You know, we don't believe they are as maybe resilient as some of the cliches say. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to take care of them yeah. and to, to keep them from harm. And you know, at Rice Bowls—we say every child has four basic necessities: provision, protection, affection, and instruction. And that's why we support these um, holistic children's homes that are loving is not just a feeding program, That those are great. Mm
2: -hmm. It actually
3: provides all four of those things that kids need. And when they don't have that protection, when they're around abuse or in bad situations, those... The repercussions from those negative experiences are one of the things that helps perpetuate some of these terrible cycles that happen here and abroad. And so, the idea is to keep these kids safe and uh, provide those uh, four basic necessities so that we're able to break some of these generational cycles.
0: Yeah, you got to break the break the chain, break the chain of poverty, break the chain of abuse. In order to do that, you got to get these kids out of those situations. Well, I, I for one, and I know Jen you would agree that this is just an incredible mission. I mean, having four boys ourselves, you know, just raising uh, our own children, just imagining them in unsafe situations or in situations where, you know, food from a day-to-day basis isn't something that's guaranteed, you
1: know. And we know how important it is because ourselves, we have 12 sponsored children. Yeah. So we are really big into, you know, feeding the kids and, you know, giving them their medicine that they need and
0: instruction in school them, and, yeah. and hopefully steering them towards yeah. faith and, yeah. and Jesus. And
1: so we know how absolutely. important it is to help when you can.
3: Yeah. It's uh, you know, and a lot of the, the child sponsorships, which I'm a big fan of world vision and compassion. Some of the others have right. done over the years and really allowing these kids. And, and a lot of times that is a way to allow them to stay, you know, with their families mm-hmm. and, which is the best place to provide a, a loving family is the best place to provide those, those four basic necessities. And all their homes are, are faith based. So being able to provide, we talk about instruction. It's not just in schooling, but we are faith based and helping them to grow up and, and love the Lord and uh, serve the Lord and from that serve their communities. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, kind of what we're about.
0: Well, um, I guess one question that I would have right now is for those that are listening, how can they help your cause? Like sometimes I I feel like, you know, you think a small amount of money is not enough, but yet there are small charities out there that 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever can mean the difference. It can mean feeding five kids. It could mean, you know, so how can people help your cause if they're willing
3: First of all, you know, obviously you can go learn more about us at, uh, at as you mentioned, um, ricebowls.org. In a normal time, hey, we have you know these bowls that you can order, whether it's a, a teacher or, heck, your neighborhood, anything like mm-hmm. that. You can order 10 bowls or you can order hundreds of bowls. And normally I would say, hey, that is a great way, uh, particularly if you're involved with kids. Uh, to help teach kids about giving because it's uh, giving and service are intangible concepts. Uh, so just like you teach a kid uh, math through, hey, here's two Matchbox cars mm-hmm. combined with two other Matchbox cars, that makes four. You're giving a tangible way to teach an intangible concept like math. Well, these little bowl plastic piggy banks are, are a great tangible way to teach mm-hmm. kids about service. Now, right now, it may be a little more challenging to do that. Uh, you know, it may have to be like uh, neighborhood, some some way of like organizing that, but once yeah. when things get back and going, that is a great way to get involved. And then you know we also just have uh, obviously donations, both recurring and you know in one time on our site. But you know if you know other brands, uh, I would say that everybody kind of has businesses in their community. If you own a business, how Ula? We have other brands that support us, like Ula. That. We'll do, hey, for free, um, you know, widget I sell, I'm going to, you know, provide a meal to a child or a day's worth of meals to a child. So, you know, if you know businesses or you own a business that you'd like to have some sort of partnership in that way, we would love that. We we try to support our sponsors and that can be through, hey, if you, you know, ooh, uh, we need to take a bag of tea on one of our trips with us and you want to get a shot of, uh, you know, some kids uh some our awesome kiddos, uh, drinking your tea or what, you know, whatever it might be, or the, or the, the, the caretakers having a, having a sip of tea, you know, like, uh, getting a little caffeinated to be able to take care of these kids. We can get those, you know, we get those shots for you, those, you know, those photos to kind of help, uh, help with that, that sponsorship and that, that partnership. So there's, uh, dif- you know, different ways and we have, um, some more you can uh, contact us as well. You know, if you have some other ideas in that regard, you know, we're always willing to talk.
0: Great. That's great. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm sure that we'll have some people that uh, do participate, do reach out. And I think Mm -hmm. your points are are very well taken. I think we have to wait until after COVID to really kind of step on the gas because community groups, involvement, people coming together, you know, it's just been tough in this environment. So one one last uh, question before we finish up here. So um, how do you maintain your hope in a time like this, in this environment, you know, I'm sure you've had your own struggles. I'm sure you have had struggles with the charity. And so, for those that are listening, that are feeling anxious or overwhelmed or worried, you know, what would you say to them about how you foster hope yourself, and/or what could you say to them to help them maybe see, um, you, you know, a bigger picture here and, and maintain some uh, hope perspective?
3: Yeah, actually, listening to a sermon this past week and. Talking about one of the things in control and that God cares about is what's going on between our ears. In control, not just our, our words and our actions, but our, our thoughts as well. And the, the sermon was talking about taking captive those thoughts and investigating them. You have negative, having these negative thoughts, like where are those coming from? How can I change it? Not just kind of sit there in dread or thinking those thoughts. That's a hard, hard thing to do. But I do believe scripture backs that up that God really cares about our thoughts and, uh, he knows our thoughts anyway. So we don't have to hide those, uh, from him. So, I mean, for me, it's, uh, trying to take those negative thoughts, uh, captive and, and interrogate them. And say, hey, where where is this coming from? Is this true? Is this like a good thought to be having right now? And if it's not, replacing it with truth. I mean, to be honest with me, I don't have a ton of time to memorize some of the scripture, some of the poetry, whatever it might be, but things that are that are true. And uh, but I do try to go back about once every other weekend. Over the years, I have memorized stuff. And I try to just like recite things I already have memorized um, that I know are true. A lot of that is scripture, and you know, trying to replace. You know, when you have, when I have those untrue thoughts coming in, try to uh, replace them. And some of that is, hey, I need to. Uh, it's just looking back on, um, you know, replacing uh, untruth with uh, with truth, um, and that's uh, one of the things I try to do.
0: I think that's uh, very well said. Thank you so much for that. That is awesome. I think once you uh, recognize that you can control what you think and how you think, you know, speaking of truth, like if you're 40 plus, 50 plus, you know, even 30 plus, you've been through some stuff, you've overcome, you made it through, you're alive. And I think remembering that truth Remembering the truths of your past experience and what you've survived and what you've been through, I think you can anchor to that moving forward. Even if you can't quote 500 scripture verses, you know that you've been brought to this point, brought through some adversity, and likely you're going to be able to to make it through what's going on right now. So, uh, very wise words. Thank you so much, Dodd, and thank you so much for you know coming online with us and sharing. Um, some of the information that you've shared about ricebowls.org. Uh, we hope that people, uh, go to your website and participate and help to help your cause mm-hmm. right now of feeding children throughout the world. And, uh, thank you so much for your time today.
3: Sean, thank you so much. Jen, thank you uh, as well. I really appreciate y'all
1: Thank uh, you. Me on. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. All right, Jen, what'd you think about our interview with Dodd Caldwell?
1: Ricebowls.org. I I actually thought that was amazing. I mean, I totally stand behind this because one, being a foodie and two, having children, I just know how important it is to make sure that they're fed. Like it's such a great idea. I love it.
0: Well, I think even beyond that, when he talks about uh, safety and t- mm-hmm. talks about other countries and, you know, they don't have the safety net there. Right. They don't have the regulations. They don't have the policing. They don't have the rules and laws. You talked about price gouging and, you know, yeah. some countries sending these kids home. It's kind of like being at school. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you can't have, you know, 100 kids together. you got to go somewhere else. What if these kids don't have any place to go?
1: Yeah, I just honestly, food is love. Yeah. Well, it just sort of reminds me of.
0: I can't listen to somebody like him doing what he's doing mm-hmm. and then lament my own problems right now during COVID.
1: No, not you at know.
0: all. You know, it's like, how do, I, how do I worry about a house that we've got for sale? How do I worry about three houses that we've got in the pipeline when there's kids somewhere that are in danger, that aren't being cared for, in orphanages that can't
1: mm-hmm. eat? Well, it's, honestly, it's really hard to talk about any of your problems right now because you always know that there's bigger problems out there. So I always feel like my problems are so little, even though they could be so huge to me that the world is experiencing way more difficult times. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's honestly really hard to talk about any of your problems. And I just, I think that they're nailing it with what they're doing and they're still, you know, fighting through this.
0: I worry about a prolonged effect of covid on a lot of charities because I do think their fundraising activities are dependent on being social, being out, being mm-hmm. around. You know, so I think that's going to be an ancillary effect right. to charities is it is reduction in revenue now and I hope that they get that coming back out of it, but it always Happens during a recession. But that's all the more reason why people need to support if they can.
1: Well, you had made a good point in the show. I made a good point. You did. I did good. It wasn't a funny joke, but it was a good point because for most people during, you know, let's say COVID, they're going to get rid of the charities that they support. And so, like, for us personally, like, I've never thought of that even being an option, you know, yeah. just because of, like I feel like they're my family that we support. Yeah. Um. But it is true. Like, you, you start to eliminate the things that, you know, you can't afford, and I get that. So, you definitely made a good point, and I don't want that to happen.
0: No, I don't want it to happen either.
1: No, we have to support.
0: Yes, absolutely. And if you're listening, there's a couple different ways that you can support. You can actually go to ricebowls.org. We're going to have a link in our Instagram account to there instagram account you can also go to our facebook at hope radio podcast and see them there mm-hmm. we'll have some information that you can use to support and share if you're willing so please do
1: feed the children
0: yeah and also if you're wanting to listen to more of our podcasts you can find them on stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, itunes google play soundcloud we're in all of the audio mediums. so
1: wherever you look we're there
0: yes wow. wherever you look We're there. Not in a scary way. (laughs) Ew. Not in a creepy way. Yeah, no. Wherever you look, we're there. No, (laughs) like eyes peering at you. I see
1: you. No. No.
0: (laughs) Not that kind of way. All right, so here's my uh, finishing thought for the day. It's a quote from Anne Lamott. Okay. All right. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up.
1: Mm,
0: I like that. Never,
1: ever give up.
0: That's what we're doing right now with this podcast.
1: Do not throw in the towel. Don't give up.
0: I'm never going to give up the podcast. We're going we're gonna to do got f- this. five episodes we got this. a day.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. I saw your look. No, one a day.
0: All right. How about, how about we do another one tomorrow?
1: Uh, tomorrow's good.
0: You You down for that? I am free. We are going to interview tomorrow mm-hmm. Angie Lee.
1: Really? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, she uh she's coming online. She's a children's book author. I
1: say that like I know her, but I don't, but the name sounds familiar.
0: Well, get excited for that. We're going to do that tomorrow. Okay? Okay. I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Okay.